0: Hello and welcome to Your Killer Life where together we tackle the reality of surviving a killer diagnosis like cancer and I help guide you through creating your killer life. I'm your host Tammy Grable Woodford and in this podcast we aren't leaving anything out as my guests and I share deeply personal insights and experiences as we talk about trauma, loss, treatment options, caregiving, side effects, money, hey, we open it all up. In fact, we are even Going into the forbidden zone to talk about sex, relationships, and mental health. Remember, the conversations you hear on the show are based on unique experiences and varying diagnoses, and we all had our own medical teams. We are not giving medical advice. So if you hear something inspiring, please talk with your providers. All right, are you ready? I know I am. So let's get busy and start building your killer life. Hello, and welcome to Your Killer Life. We are so excited to have you join us on this next episode. I am one of your hosts today, Tammy Grable-Woodford.
1: I am Griff Woodford.
0: And we are excited to be talking with you today about the fear of love and bonding and commitment in the midst of loss and trauma, and specifically, of course, with breast cancer. On episode eight, we talked about sex and intimacy and, oh, sort of recovering those aspects of of life, we mentioned, but we didn't really dig into the fact that I really did have a hard time with bonding. And you had sort of decided to step in, which was amazing. And and with for those that, that didn't listen to that episode, my ex husband had asked for a divorce a couple of weeks before my diagnosis. He uh, pretty much I had let him know that I thought I had breast cancer and had made the doctor appointment and he didn't make it to the starting line on that. And then a few months yep. <laughs> and we were already friends. Yeah. And for some reason, you decided to step up and step in. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, too. But I also and that's sort of the reason for for this episode, I was very guarded and not wanting to love or invite intimacy, that type of intimacy into my life.
1: I would add to that from from my perspective, uh, beginning the relationship which at first was of course friendship and i i I don't really want to say like a um a a guidance type relationship but there's you know the deep friendship and then realizing that you are you are now in crisis and you're alone my um not the only reason but i'll say one, one of the uh more important reasons and one of the reasons that allowed me to I guess be able to understand some of the difficulties for you is because I have had a life that is consistent in hardship, certainly up until we met, and knowing what it does take to get out of that, to recover from it, and still be able to um, pursue a a healthy, happy life. You know, I I know and knew how to navigate suffering. It's a skill. Quite frankly, it's it's a trained and practiced skill, uh, which most people really aren't aware of, whether out of necessity or, or refusal. So uh, a large portion of me going into that role is knowing that you needed help and knowing that of anyone else I knew, I would be the best fit for that.
0: So... One of the things that we've not talked about yet on the podcast is that you also have experienced loss through cancer. Yes. And you have seen what that looks like as a person goes from being diagnosed to to saying goodbye. Yes. And I know for me part of why I didn't want to bond with anyone is because i didn't want to allow someone to love me
1: and then lose that have it taken yes yeah no and that's to anyone listening and obviously to you that is a very natural response i mean i've i've can think of uh, a few times and instances in my own life where i refused attachment based on uh, what I was doing, the danger, in what I was doing—whether it's uh, career, occupation, or just um, just bad choices—but <laughs> uh, no, and so I, I certainly recognized that, and did what I could to address it. Of course, but again, having having seen the process before with with um, very close loved ones who who were killed by the disease or the treatment of the disease knowing that because what it looked like you were going to be facing, that you couldn't do it alone. And if I needed to even just be a stepping stone for you to recover, then that was, uh, I, I was happy with that. In fact, in the beginning, that was really kind of the the outlook on the relationship is, you know, it doesn't matter if this goes into something romantic or goes into a marriage, it's not why I'm here. It's that I, I know I can fill a very specific role for you because you are in dire need of it. And, you know, that, uh, that allowed me to persevere when things were really hard.
0: So I'm still, all of these years later, amazed that with the very personal and close loved ones that you have lost and going through that, that you you did decide that, hey, I could do this again and I can risk this, yeah. this part of me. And I did not make it easy
1: on you. <laughs> <laughs> not, not at first, no. Not at first.
0: I know for me, there was not just the fear of hurting you. And the the pain and loss on your end. I mean, to me, that felt unjust and unfair. And so it wasn't something that that I wanted to do to someone. And I think part of that is because I had felt so abandoned. And so, you know, I I did not want to put that on someone else. I didn't want to open that door for someone else. And then my family right like seeing their reaction and their pain to my diagnosis and the fear of loss and and how they were dealing with it I just really could not think of anything more painful to do to someone than to allow it at that moment and so I really did emotionally block love and I know we're not going to talk about drugs on this episode, and we are going to talk about that on a future episode. That helped me in some ways to continue to be numb, you know, post-operatively with narcotics. Sure, and yep. All, all of the stuff that was tossed at me, which we dubbed the Elvis Presley repair kit. That's,
1: yeah, yep.
0: <laughs> so, um, so that helped me to maintain that distance, but that really was such a, a hard thing for me. And then on top of that, I was already experiencing so much loss in my life, loss of career, loss of future.
1: 20-year marriage. Yeah. Right. All all of the above. Pretty much every discernible aspect of your life, something was being actively taken from you or had already been taken.
0: Yes. And that trauma, I will say it continues even now. You know, there, there are things that I don't want to say self-sabotage, but it might come across that way, like getting fit again, because you've been with me throughout all this. Like I would just get momentum back and then I would get hit with another surgery or something like that. So it was just constantly this reclamation and loss and reclamation and loss and reclamation and loss. And I was just, yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd ask you the question of, if you can recall, what was the defining moment where that wall dropped? Where you realized, for whatever reason, that this was this was worth the investment, and what were the the catalysts to that
0: was always worth the investment. It was whether or not it was worth the risk, and that your persistence, I think, more than anything, and then you opening up and letting me know. I think once I understood your background with your grandmother and with your your uh, stepdad, yeah, that. Yeah. that I understood. And also getting, you know, to know you better. Knowing you as a friend is one thing. Being abandoned like that at the beginning of my diagnosis really damaged my ability to trust that anyone would be there. And, you know, you and I had conversations, you know, no joke. Like, I'll just Uber back from the OR tomorrow. (laughs) It's, Uh It's fine. I'll figure it out on my own. Right. But You just kept showing me that I could depend on you. And you just kept showing me that you were up for the challenge and willing to accept that loss. But probably what really changed it is the moment that I realized that you you were on my side And you were true to your word and that you mentally could handle it. And so we we went through a lot of things. I mean, it was probably I don't know if you remember, but it was probably a good year of me being like, "Okay, kid, whatever. Right. Uh,
1: Yeah. 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 That's uh, maybe a little bit less. But yeah, within that. Certainly within that frame. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it really was just sort of this realization of of your your tenacity that you're just sticking with it and at some point I finally felt safe and it was that safety that which was so, so scary to be vulnerable enough to allow the feeling of safety I cannot stress that
1: yeah I think that there are a lot of really important takeaways from both sides of this conversation for our listeners, particularly ones who are going through, you know, uh, long-term or chronic diseases, cancer, you know, the list goes on, and all the effects that, that, that coincide with that, of um, p- particularly on the, well, not particularly, but within both parties, is understanding that this is, these are genuine hurdles that every person will face and to think that, that it doesn't apply or that it's not applicable or that there aren't skills that are required in order to navigate this successfully, is that is, frankly, self-sabotaging, whether through naivety or just unwillingness to to believe the uh, the actual reality. So, you know, transposing that to others, particularly in the beginning of a, a long-term disease. And, I mean, you know, in our case, we're a little bit different as it wasn't just... The beginning of a long-term disease, it was the beginning of a romantic relationship, right. you know, so it was this, you know, kind of exponentially more difficult scenario. I mean, it's, I, I won't say typically, but very often, or I suppose the most relatable is people had been together for three, five, six, eight, twelve 12 years, you know, I mean, we think about like average age of uh, long-term illness diagnosis, you know, I mean, that, it's typically indicative of someone or a couple who's been together for a little while. So there's there's already this kind of assumed safety from both people. You know, you've been around each other enough to know that you can be relied on even if only for, you know, for certain things. That begins to change when that disease does well, I guess the process is also the disease now begin to take the the center stage of daily life because it's it's not what That relationship was based on. It's not what that relationship is used to so understanding the individual realities for both people um, the uh, the victim of the disease the um, well that that fear and that unwillingness to put someone else through that the potential of loss that's a real thing. It's a very human thing. It's it's um probably call that a, a unilateral feeling for people, especially for those who really care about each other. You know, I mean, I, I love you. I don't want to cause you harm, so go away. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be here for this. Where in reality, yeah, we do. Yes, we do want to be here for this. And it's not your decision ultimately to say I can or cannot love you and support you through this.
0: Oh, my goodness. So you saying just that actually brings tears to my eyes because so many times you would say to me.
1: Not your choice. It's
0: not your choice. You don't get to tell me who to love. You don't get to tell me. Right. And that was that was a big part of it because wanting to put up that wall for both of us was definitely something you know that I that I was desperately trying to do and you yeah. <laughs> you weren't having it <laughs> no <laughs> nope. he was not having it so uh there is so much with with that loss and with that fear and introducing someone into your life and you're right we you know we didn't have that existing relationship, you know, that long standing years of knowing what to expect. And so, you know, you you just kind of jumped in and we're learning to figure this out and what to expect and in some ways you knew what to expect from cancer and the treatment side more than I did.
1: Right. No, I I understood the um the physical processes, the the medical processes, um, you know, what well, again, what to expect physically and to to a degree uh, emotionally and psychologically, you know, I saw the suffering that my my stepdad and my, my grandmother went went through, both of whom were were very impactful in my life and I was very close to. I think yeah, well, another part of that, because of that experience, I noticed that people who were who were close to to those those people did withdraw. There, there were people who just didn't come around anymore, and to a degree, uh, I was, I was one of them. With my grandma in particular, because of my age, I was very young, and my dad had just been killed a couple of years prior. That I mean, it was just uh, more than I could deal with. Like I just, I, not just not knowing what to do, but just not knowing how to cope with the 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 fear and the the feelings of predetermined loss. That were so present every time that I would be just, be just be in the same room with with Graham. And knowing that other people are going to do the same thing to you. And that's a terrible place to to imagine yourself as the person who has had no choice. They've had no say in the matter whether or not they get this illness and to be left like that because, and you know, for a very human reason and then not for, not out of spite or, or anger or anything like that. Just that these are things that, um, that really do require skill and practice in navigating. And that's some of our earlier podcasts was, you know, that difference between strength and hardness and the matrices of those you know the the aspect of being hard and that often will will include or yeah would include you know the use of substances to try and deal like just not wanting to be present in that crucible which again it's a very human response you know and I, that's in in some ways my, my view of illnesses like that, or just loss in general, just suffering in general, is, it is it's training. You are being trained to be able to step up to the person who really matters the most to you, who really needs you the most. And that was, again, the, the initial desire to be that person for you, because I knew I could be. Even just for the fact that I'm still alive and not incarcerated, I know that I have skills and I have practice in those skills that you don't have.
0: Were you scared?
1: Well, define scared. what? What? I mean, I think there's a lot of things to be scared of, but what, you, what is your definition of that?
0: Well, the context of it is just emotionally opening yourself to a relationship and and having that taken away was that something that that you emotionally had to somehow process i don't know if scared would be the the right word
1: there was only one time a single time and that is when you called me saying that you'd just been diagnosed right i was at the burger stand yeah. i just got back from like the first like pin and stretch massage i did and, um, you know, you, you said it's a huge mass, it's stage three, maybe stage four, and just like that, un- the, the, the initial uncertainty of, well, that sounds lethal to me, you know, based on the, the experiences in particular with cancer that I'd had, that sounds like a death sentence. So that initial, before there was any other information, before there was any reading of notes or data or procedural doctrine or anything like that, there was that fear of your, your time is short. But, it, you know, again, when I think of f- fear, particularly in that context, it's not, it, I don't think it was ever fear of my own loss It was fear of of yours, fear of you losing something, losing your life, losing happiness, direction, hope. So, you know, it was what that diagnosis would mean to you in that moment.
0: So later, as we (laughs) stepped into a relationship, which you, you know, were willing to do before me, did it ever cross your mind that that it would come to an untimely end. Was that ever a concern or a fear?
1: No, actually. And I remember you and I had we kind of went round around about <laughs> no. that in particular for a while of, you know, me being, me knowing that you're going to be fine. Right. And you refusing to believe that on the basis of how do you know, how do you know, you know, well, it's the same reason I know that the sun is going to rise in the east and set in the west tomorrow. It's the same reason I know that same reason I know that I love you. Like there's nothing tangi- tangible about that. There's no proof that I I love you, but I know that subconscious, that preconscious, that spiritual voice, that deeper connection to The world in which you live, the electromagnetic vibrational fields, however, you know, pick a culture and they will describe it to you in a different way. But that certainty, not based on data or fact, but that certainty based on everything that you know on a subconscious level that you are going to be fine.
0: It's interesting because I do remember those conversations and being absolutely pissed off that you would say that. <laughs> yeah, I know. That. I
1: know. Yeah, I remember.
0: Because how could you know? And you don't know. And how dare you tell me that I'm going to be okay? And how dare you try and give me hope in the midst of this? Because you don't know. You don't know. And mm-hmm. I think there's there are probably a few... Of my breasties out there listening that are going, exactly. You don't know. How dare you say that? How dare you give me more false promise and more false hope when you cannot quantify or guarantee or promise that this is going to be a thing. And it is such a difficult place to be. In. And that's, you know, that's again, that fear of, of love in the midst of loss. You just are surrounded it's like your your life is just crumbling around you. You don't want to put any hope into something that might not be there. Yeah. Men included.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I you know, I think that's just kind of the default setting for people in general. You know, once you read a, a cer- reach a certain point of trauma or loss or just being completely overwhelmed that um the the idea of feeling hopeful about anything feels like a betrayal. Yes. But again, back to my my very first premise of because of all the suffering that I've endured and the way that I've managed to kind of see my way through it in a positive sense is understanding that hope is the most important aspect of going through something like that. And even whether it's not hope of surviving something, you know, we all, none of us got this alive, but the hope of, because I'm going through fill in the blank, I will be better at fill in the blank because of it. Right. And that was another very definitive aspect of, of, um, my prerogative of our, of our relationship is this, every day is hard. Every day is uncertainty. And every day in some aspect is potential fear, is potential loss. But knowing that by me exposing myself to that, and, uh, and, and not just as an individual, but as a unit, that that strengthens us, that makes us stronger that makes us more capable, makes us wiser. And through that strength, wisdom, and capability, hope just materializes. Having the ability to take that you know brief step out of yourself and realize where you actually are as opposed to where you might feel like you are. Realize that you are still standing. You can still smile. And you, you love each other. You know, those are all really significant gifts. And the fact that both or either of us were able to do that in the midst of all of that, that is a tremendous gift.
0: It really is. Uh-huh. You had sort of back to that confidence that you had that everything is going to be fine. It was last year, I think that you admitted that every time I went into surgery, which really felt like all the time. Right. That <laughs> it did every three to six months. Here we go again. Yep. Every time I went into surgery, that was also a moment of fear because that was the riskiest.
1: Yeah, that was really, my, I remember a couple of other individual instances where uh, that that touch of fear occurred, but that was certainly the most consistent one because I, I have a pretty good idea of what goes into surgery. And because you, I mean, you didn't go through the chemo or radiation, but you are still immune compromised. You still have inherent weaknesses within the system because of all the, just the physical trauma you've been suffering, that you're that much more susceptible to a microgram worth of miscalculation in anesthesia, you know, a surgeon who's been up for 18 hours as opposed to eight hours you know there's so many variables that really have hardly anything to do with the disease itself and that neither of us have any control over or any even real knowledge of you know it's something that we don't get to we don't get to ask how how well have you slept doctor Right. You know, just those small things like that. And because of my background um, in special operations, uh, U.S. military, uh, I learned that that's how things go catastrophic is the inability to um, to address the small details. You know, that cascading effect of missing one thing here and then another thing there or, or misjudging something. You know, um, the, the devil being in the details, as it were. Right. Um, that, was the, that was the most apprehensive. And it's going to sound a little bit arrogant, but uh, because that was the one part of, of you and I that I, I did not have any say in. I didn't have any direct hands on ability to correct a problem when you were behind the curtain. Everywhere else. I could apply input. I could apply my skills, my attention to detail, my intuition based on what I know of you, you know, being able to just know when you're hurting from across the room without you having to say anything, like know no before you do that you are in pain somewhere. And now I can, I can address that. So there's, again, just that feeling of I don't have the ability to influence this this particular part, and it's an important part. And so that was where those moments of fear would come from. Yeah,
0: yeah, that w- and I was pleasantly clueless because I had never had a major <laughs> right. anything before. I had never yeah. broken a bone. I hadn't had. Um, I think I'd, I had had general anesthesia one other time, and that's when I had uh, foot surgery. And so, but which was really minor, and not that general anesthesia is ever minor, minor right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> that is kind of a big
1: thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and. Trust me, the first time as we're talking intubation with the anesthesiologist and I'm like, wait, what? You're going to what? Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they do lots of stuff to you when you're asleep.
0: <laughs> no idea. And it's interesting because I we are going to do an episode on pain because it's not arrogant at all when you say you realizing that I'm in pain before I would, because I had gotten to the point where pain had become my 24-7, 365 companion. yeah. And I had adapted to it and I would push through and just try and ignore it. And you would see where it was sort of crossing over with, and I'll never forget the time, I shouldn't spoil that episode, but I'll never forget the time you were like, no, you need to take something, you need to take something. And I had worked all day and whatever, and I finally took one of my pain meds and like 30 minutes later, I felt my face relax. Like Mm -hmm. that's how much pain I had in my body. Yeah. And it's something that I also don't think gets discussed enough. So we'll do an episode on that. You know, when you asked me earlier, sort of, you know, well, how did you know? And and when did <laughs> when did you finally realize that that you're going to be here and that I can count on you? <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's it's sort of those thousand little things. It's the yeah. It is because you know I think back to just examples of. As odd as this sounds, like, you know, you become the boob inspector and not in the way that ever all the guys would be thinking, yay, but (laughs) not what's on the mug. (laughs) Right. It's I can't feel I can't see underneath half the time, especially post-op. You know, I'm not necessarily 100 percent there because of the narcotics I'm taking or just, you know, coming out of surgery, which you were always so good at reminding me because I am impatient and I am capable and I have not Mm -hmm. ever had to depend on someone like I was required to do throughout some of this process. And that was also very hard for me. So that was probably another part of why I put up that wall. But you having to be the one to look at sutures and look at the bruising and look at the places that I couldn't see, when I couldn't wash my hair because I had Tyrannosaurus X arms and you're like, that's okay, I'll figure it out. And washing my hair, you know, it's all of those so... They they can sound so minor, and yet they're so they're
1: meaningful. Big deals in the in the moment, and both preceding and afterward, they're big deals. And I, I think that's actually probably something that will be really helpful to viewers, particularly ones that are going through similar circumstances. Is you know you you don't get to that level of of intimacy and trust and safety, just general security and dependability by one big grand gesture. You know, that's that's not a quantifiable resource for putting your faith in somebody. It's the the thousand little wins, the you know, thousands of those little bits of attention to detail that seem relatively innocuous in the in the moment enough that you you notice them and you're aware of them, but don't seem to have a tremendous amount of impact. And then you realize there's been a thousand of those or 10,000 of those. And it's this consistent pattern that wh- whoever that is, is putting your needs above my own when it's appropriate and when it's necessary. Yeah. that That's what dependability is. It's never the big grand gesture. It is always the, the long, steady game.
0: And that could not have always been easy. And I know that there yep. were times... <laughs> we do honesty on this show. (laughs)
1: That's,
0: That's just the way it is. Unscripted honesty. But, you know, because doing that is hard in the first place, putting your needs, you know, putting someone else's needs above your own is a difficult thing, especially if you're you know, I hate to say it, but like, there's not going to be an instant reward, right? Like the, the reward is that I have clean hair, but for you, like you're, you're just cleaning up the bathroom and the mess that we right, made. Right, I'm and soaking trying...
1: wet and I have to have floor, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so that, yeah.
0: so, so there is a huge element to that, that is really that, that gift and that consistency and, and ability to continue to have grace and I was not always on my best behavior, and we'll talk about that in another episode too, because some of the, the drugs made me cranky and some of them made me depressed and some of them, right, there were, you know, and then oh, yeah. coming out of surgery. And you were always so good, as impatient as I was, to remind me that healing was coming out of a knife fight, even if it was a sterile knife fight. Right. Right. Still got hit by a Mack truck and yes. yeah, and still had a lot of work and a lot of healing to do. And I think that that is something also that with breast cancer can be a challenge because the skin heals pretty quickly,
1: right? Uh, nothing else does, I would say, in particular, breast cancer. I Maybe mean, not putting that necessarily above other diseases, but just the uh, wow, the um, the hardship that comes with that, the the healing that is so much more than can just be seen or even immediately felt you know, and not, not just in the physical sense either but the psychological and emotional sense of the person who's been diagnosed and is going through all of these medical interventions and reconstructions i mean again just sterile knife fight after sterile knife fight after sterile knife fight and uh got the psychological toll on that is just immense it's absolutely immense yeah and again what well one of the things that I think allowed us to be successful was my knowledge of that going going into it you know there were certainly things i was not prepared for as far as our relationship type thing um the difficulties that we would have I, some of those i did not foresee and that's why there were difficulties but knowing that um you know your your survival journey on this is going to be intensive. You are going to live, you are going to survive and you you will end in the place that you want to end. I knew that within a couple weeks of your diagnosis. I, I knew that I just, the same way I, you know, I, you know, you love somebody. I also knew that it was going to be a very long and difficult road. I had no misconceptions of the the endurance that was going to be required for both of us. And I think it's very well, <laughs> it's critical that any of our listeners or viewers that are looking at this diagnosis or a similar diagnosis or are in the beginning stages of, of a diagnosis like that, that both parties must be very certain that this is going to take a long time and it is going to be very difficult. And equally on that, be certain that you want to do this with the other person. Because it's going to end really badly if you don't have those already on board.
0: I know that in addition to the fear of... Losing someone and so not not being willing to be vulnerable in that way and invite love in your life because of the feeling of loss. I know that there's also and I will say like I went through a little bit of this myself like, you know, when my ex-husband said to me, You've got to take me back after the diagnosis was confirmed. And I said, No, there was still that part of, well, should I settle? Because, you know, who who the hell is gonna want to be with me after, you know, I'm all Frankenstein. And and women are not we are not nice to ourselves when we talk about ourselves in this process. No. Nope. But it's also a very hard thing because we have the the scars and the I mean, you saw the violence of it. You saw the aftermath of it. Yep. And so I think that that's a bit of a challenge too, which is also still a fear of loss of am I going to be able to find that someone that is still going to, so we settle, am I going to be able to find someone who's going to love me as I am, as I look with my, my defects and all, and um, not that any of us, I mean, I have a scar on my knee from when I was seven. So it's not like I don't have any scars. I'm not perfect was never perfect. So, but there's still that fear of loss I think in either direction, especially as it and that fear of love, whether or not you'll be able to find love.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Kind of brings up the reality that any situation like like that and particularly, you know, a long-term disease diagnosis, it it brings out individual selfishnesses, like the plural of selfishness, right? <laughs> you know whether rational or irrational because there is such a such an amount of strain on on both parties that you <laughs> it, it it comes to your attention very quickly if well it just does not if anything it comes to your attention very quickly where some of those irrational pieces of selfishness exist you know whether it's feeling like you don't have enough time in the bathroom in the morning or um Am I going to be pretty enough for someone who has already proven that they love me without condition? Those are obviously two quite large extremes, but realizing where the ir- ir- irrational pieces of selfishness come from and and being able to address those is which I, I know at least for me it was very important in a few aspects. Without getting into a lot of detail, because I don't really have a lot of individual detail or just this awareness that, you know, these, these things that I was trying to keep for myself or, uh, allow myself that really made no sense, but for some reason were so important for, so I would feel like I'm not being, uh, misused or something like that. Um, <laughs> you have a lot of opportunity for introspection and for growth. I mean, that's, that's the, I would say probably the most um the most gratitude I feel for that whole process is exactly that is is just the opportunity to really get get a handle on a lot of things that were I don't know if self-harming is the right word but irrational selfishness that would self-sabotage is is I guess calling being able to call myself out on that and and find the reality behind those I don't think that's really making a whole lot of linear sense, but it provides you a lot of opportunity for introspection and growth. Leave it at that, and and both parties, and being able to uh, facilitate and help that with both parties—that's that's what really awesome marriages are built out of.
0: Yeah, and I would—it's—it's it's such an interesting thing because I would say that it wasn't easy, but I would also say that it wasn't hard. It was just complicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. I mean, there's individuals, certainly, you know, they're, they're bad days. There are really hard days. But I wouldn't say any of it was... Nothing ever felt cruel. Nothing well, I can't say nothing felt unfair, but as far as what you and I were going through together, it didn't it, it always felt like an equal burden and a burden that was worth it. You know, it felt like the yokes that we we both we lived under for a couple of years were were very well suited to us. Yeah. You know, and the the yokes that we were um we were wearing in those during that time it has allowed us to till the fields of our future.
0: Which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: <laughs> I mean it's so far it's good.
1: Yeah, it's a lot better <laughs> than than good. <laughs>
0: I love that. Thank you for all of the uh, midnight yogurt covered pretzels to go with my pain meds.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: Washing my hair.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, helping me remove surgical tape.
1: Yeah, boy. That, that was stuff. an ordeal. Yeah, terrible.
0: Stripping drains. Another mm-hmm. lovely, lovely thing. Yeah,
1: dripping and measuring and expressing. Yeah, you know, all that. Oh,
0: that's good stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. It's of course it's difficult, and um, you know one thing I can certainly say about long-term illness disease is it takes all of the mystery out of a relationship. You know, so if if that's part of the reason why you are with that person, uh, rethink that carefully. As you're you're not going to have secrets. There's not going to be any mysterious aspects of that relationship. You are going to know each other out of necessity. To the same degree that you know yourself.
0: Which is powerful and terrifying. And it requires willingness and vulnerability. And it is very difficult. That is very difficult. Yes, it is. So what advice when it comes to fear of love in the midst of loss would you want to leave folks with as we wrap up?
1: Um, I think probably to main aspects of that of realizing and in the case of long-term disease diagnosis or going through it but i mean that transfers into many other things just surviving trauma getting through trauma whether it's the the active process of it or it's the aftermath is you you do not accomplish anything on your own You, you you don't. There's no way a single person can go through something that life altering, that in some cases demeaning and that that unfair. You don't survive that on your own. You simply don't. The caveat to that is there also needs to be an internal selection process. That mentioned earlier, that single gesture, that grand gesture is not grounds to allow another person into that depth of vulnerability and honesty. I don't really have a doctrine for that selection process, but I knew that for, for me personally, I had this inquantifiable knowledge that what, however difficult the The day was, the activity, the argument, the fight was. I knew that it was a price I was willing to pay. Thank you. You're welcome. So I think that would be what I would leave this on.
0: We want to thank you for joining us today again on Your Killer Life. And we would love to hear your stories so if you are watching on YouTube, if you are on the Facebook page or even out on the website, we would appreciate really your feedback, your thoughts as we continue to to dance through these really tough topics and I I appreciate the openness. I just have to say I appreciate so I mean this is who you are all the time anyway and and we'll definitely have a conversation in the future about using words and and communication. Yeah, right? Yes. <laughs> but but I appreciate that so much. And as our, to our listeners, we really would love to hear from you too and thank you so much for continuing to share the podcast and to leave feedback and and subscribe and like. So thank you for joining us and until next time, keep living your killer life. Bye guys. Thank you for listening to Your Killer Life. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information about what you heard on today's show, visit us at yourkillerlife.com or visit our YouTube channel. You will also find us in all the usual places on social media. We have another great episode queued up for you next week. And until then, keep building your killer life.